Now, before we jump into what we're learning about today, I have a little question that I want to go through with you in Sowerton, with you in Quakertown, and all of you joining us online as well. And here's how it goes. Think back to a time when you met someone for the first time. <clears throat> maybe you're at a gathering at the church. Uh, maybe you're at a kid's baseball game. Uh, maybe you're at work and you're, and you're next to someone that you don't know and you have that awkward moment where you have to figure out something to break the ice. And so you, what you first do is like, hey, I'm Carlos and you are? And if they don't reach back out, you have that awkward moment. It's a split second moment where you have to try to pretend like you're doing something with your hair. Doesn't really work for me at all. But after you introduce your name, what is the first or one of the first questions that you ask or are asked of you? What is that question that we constantly ask people when we first meet them? Yeah, if you're around here, what you end up asking often is, what do you do? Well, what do you do for a living? Well, what, what's your work? Well, where, where do you work? What do you do? We live in a culture that is fascinated by our work, and we usually answer. We answer like, yeah, uh, I am a teacher of uh, kindergarten students, or I uh, make hoagies at Wawa. And if that is you, you are my friend. <laughs> or we just say, I'm a lawyer, whatever it is, we answer. The question is, what do you do? And we answer, and we live in a culture that's just fascinated by that. We're, we're fascinated by work. If we were in a different culture, that might not be the question that is first asked. We might ask, where are you from? Or, or tell me something about your family of origin. But in our culture here, in the Northeast part of the United States, what do we ask often? What do you do? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but what it does communicate to us is a value that we have in our society, a value on work. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about work. The Bible talks about work a lot. In fact, we're going to be studying a passage today that talks to us a little bit about work. And what we're going to learn today is three things. We're going to learn that God created work, that we polluted work, and that Jesus redeems our work. God created work, we polluted work, Jesus redeems our work. Now, we started a new series a couple of weeks ago called Reset. And what we are doing is we're taking a look at the first 11 chapters of the Bible, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And what we are saying is that God created everything, and he created things good. But because of sin and because of the fall of humanity, creation is thrown back into chaos. And God, over and over again, steps into the chaos and provides a reset. And we see that through the book of Genesis. We see that actually throughout the book of, um, books of the Old Testament. God constantly steps into the chaos and provides a reset. And all of these little resets that we read about in the Old Testament point to the ultimate reset, the reset found in Jesus. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to own a Bible. Uh, you can take one of the Bibles we have here in Sowerton, one of the Bibles in Quakertown. Take it home. It's our gift to you. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth, so we want you to take that home. And if you're using one of the Bibles here at our Sowerton campus or in Quakertown campus, you will turn to page 1. Page 1. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26. 
Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. If you happen to have been here last week, or if you happen to be in Quakertown last week or watched us online, you might be thinking to yourself, you might be leaning over to the person next to you and saying, didn't he read those verses last week? He get like a coupon, he has to redo it, like we got to buy one, get one free. Like what's going on here? Didn't he read those last week? And the person that you're leaning over to and saying that to, they're probably saying to you, I have no clue what he talked about last week. Yes, I did talk about those verses last week. In fact, we could spend quite a few weeks just talking about that. that. Those verses are filled with deep truths, with deep theological truths, with deep foundational truths of our belief. And so it's a passage so nice, we're going to do it twice. But we're going to take a new look at it today. We're going to take something, a new look at what's going on. And we promise you that next week, in our fourth week, of this series, we will finally get after, out of the first chapter of the Bible, and we will move on. Here's the first thing that we need to understand when it comes to Genesis 1. God created work. God created work. What is going on in this passage? What is God doing? God is giving humanity a vocation. God is giving humanity a job. God is giving humanity work to do. And what is the work that he's giving? He's telling them to go into the world and multiply, be fruitful, but also be good stewards of his creation. This is the job that God gives to humanity to take care of the world that he has created. Now, unfortunately, we live in a society that has politicized the caring of our environment. And so it becomes something that, depending on what side of your politics you are, you kind of like, I don't know how to respond to that. Well, here's what I want you to understand. Caring for God's creation, before it was a political thing, was a biblical thing. And so I have no desire to talk to you about politics today. I have no desire to talk to you about politics, so I'm going to talk to you about what the Bible says. And so usually when we get kind of like bogged down in this conversation, it's usually about the hows. And so I'm not going to talk to you about electric cars versus gas-powered cars, or the fact that soon in Pennsylvania we're not going to have plastic bags when we go to grocery stores. I'm not going to talk to you about any of that, because it's not about the how. The house where we get into conversations and we start to kind of figure out where we disagree and where we agree. It's actually about the what. And the what is very important. What did God tell us to do? God told us to be good stewards of what he created. 
That's very important. God does not give humanity ownership. He does not transfer his rights of ownership to humanity in this moment. He gives us a command to be good stewards of his creation, to care for what he has created, to care for what belongs to him. So every resource that we use, not only does it come from God, but it belongs to God. Everything that we do in all of our work, all of that we do, whatever resource that we have, belongs to God. God gives us a command to be a good steward. A good steward. Basically, what we're doing is we're just house-sitting. We're just house-sitting. This is God's creation, and we're just house-sitters. And if you're house-sitting, what do you do? You're respectful of the stuff around you because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to someone else that has trusted you with what they give, uh, have asked you to take care of. That's what it means in this command. We are trusted to take care of the stuff that God created that belongs to him, stuff that he cares about. That's what matters. And this is the work that God gives us. But he doesn't just give us work. It's not just a vocation that he gives us. It's so much more. If you were to go to those verses in chapter 1, what you will understand as you're reading them, it's not just a job that he gives us. It's actually in the setting of a blessing that he's giving us. God created work, and work was good. This command to work actually happens before the fall, before humanity sins. It's part of God's original design. God gave us work as a gift. But also, even deeper than that, look at the verses that we read. What is the context? The context is being created in God's image. God has called us to work also because he works. The Bible is filled with examples of God's work. In a little bit, of, in a, a short period of time, we're going to study in the book of Genesis when humanity falls and when they, sins, when they sin. And because of that, there's a very real consequence to our sin. So what does God do from that point on? God begins to do his redemptive work for all of humanity. Again, before that, we read of God's creative work. God creates. He creates the fish in the sea. He creates the birds in the sky. He creates every plant. He creates the stars. He creates. God is working in the Bible. God does work of justice, where because of our brokenness and because of our chaos, we treat others in harmful ways, and God has a heart of justice, and he does a work of justice throughout the Bible. God does also a work of compassion. He continually is showing and working and expressing his compassion and love to us through his work. He does a work of provision. He is constantly providing us for what we need, for the food we eat, for the water that we drink. He's constantly providing for us. He does works of provision. God, over and over and over again in the Bible, is working. And being made in the image of God, we are made to work. We are made to work. And it goes into further detail in just a little bit. God gives this command to work in Genesis chapter 1, and then we get this little detail, a little bit more in detail in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, page 2 in the Calvary Bibles. 
look at this detail uh, of describing a little bit more detail specifically for the work that it says. And the Lord God took the man, talking about Adam, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Here's what's interesting. Last week we talked about being made in the image of God and we talked about community. We talked about how God exists in perfect community, that we exist in broken community, and so that God had to step into our broken community in order to restore us to his perfect community. God exists in community. It's a part of how we are to live out being made in the image of God. That's also true with our work. What happens in this passage in just a little bit, God places Adam into this garden to work. And what does he do? He looks for a helper. He looks for a helper and not finding one that is suitable, he creates Eve. And so we have for the very first time in all humanity, the first business partnership of all of history. Adam and Eve now existing with differences and different people and, and, and diversity now have to go out and live life in the community and do God's work. And that's the same it is today. We live in a community that is filled with differences and those differences actually help us out as we live out in community to live out that life of God's command of work. We were never meant to work alone. We were never meant to do God's command of work alone. We were meant to do it in community, in community. We can't do God's work alone. We have to do it in community. And so God gives us this blessing of work and he does it in a way that he expresses himself in his own image as he creates us in his image to live out lives in community, but to also live out lives of work, of work. And in its original design and intention, work is good. It's good. Just as all of creation, work was made good. It was a gift that God gave to us. What about today? I know that some of you probably are telling me like, God might have made good work, but tomorrow I'm not going to good work. We polluted work. We polluted work. Again, we're going to go over this in a little bit, but when we sin, when, when humanity rejects God, when humanity rebels against God, we are thrown into chaos, and everything that God created was polluted, including work, including work. And if we're honest with ourselves, our society here in the northeast of America pollutes work in one of two ways, in one of two ways. We either reject work or we idolize work. We either reject work or we idolize work. The Bible speaks about work, and it speaks strongly about working. It speaks strongly against people who reject work. Now, understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about someone who's not unable to work. I'm not talking about someone who is injured or who is incapable of work or who can't find that work. Or I'm, I'm talking about a conscious rejection of work, a conscious choosing of the life of laziness. The Bible says some strong things about that. Listen to some of them. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. It's page 440. 
in the church Bibles. A sluggard's appetite is never feel, filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Again, book of Proverbs. Look at Proverbs uh, chapter 21, page 447. The craving of a sluggard would be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Side note, we should bring back the word sluggard. It's a great word. I love that word. We should bring it back. But some of you might be listening to me. I'm like, okay, well, that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament. Uh, we live in New Testament times. So, okay, fine. You want that? Okay. Here we go. Drive a hard bargain, but here we go. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 10. It's on page 810. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Work is a serious thing in the Bible. The rejection of work is very serious. And let's be honest. In the culture that we live right now, my telling you that we cannot reject work, that we cannot live lives that honor God and reject work, let's be honest. Many of you are saying amen. Let's be honest, actually. In the culture we live in, none of you are saying amen. You're just thinking it. I kid. I kid. Amen. There we go. You're not from around here. <laughs> Yes, work is, we value work. This is a hard-working area. We live in a culture that is hard-working. So to hear that, like, yes, work matters. It does matter. We were created to work. But then there's the second side to that. Yes, we are meant to work hard, but we are not meant to idolize work. We are not meant to idolize work. A couple of years ago, um, a couple years ago, I began to see a counselor. I was going to a counselor, and I was working on some things, and pretty early on, as I'm seeing this counselor, the counselor looks at me, and he goes like this. Did you know you're a workaholic? And I looked at him, and I was like, yeah, I am. So he leans in a little bit and looks at me in the eyes, and he says, I don't think you understand. I'm going to ask it to you in a different way. And he looks at me, he goes, did you know that you're an addict? He said, did you know that you have an addiction? And that hit me. That stung. It's easy for me to say I'm a workaholic, but to say that I'm an addict, that stung. Why? Because we live in a culture that condemns the alcoholic, but celebrates the workaholic. And what he said to me is, it's the same reason, the same reason that the alcoholic will seek out alcohol is the same reason you're seeking out work and filling your life with work. And so I'm going to treat you like an addict. You see, what was happening was that I was placing my identity in my work. I was placing my worth in my work. Everything that I do, everything revolved around work. And actually, it was God's work. I was a pastor at the time. I'm doing ministry work. That should excuse me, right? It, it should make things okay. Doesn't God want my work? 
Not really. It's not that God wants your work. It's that God wants you. Your work is a part of that. You see, there's a very, very big difference from doing things for God and doing things with Him. God doesn't want my work for the sake of work. God wants me. He desires me. He desires you. And when my focus on work is out of whack, when it's unbalanced, the focus is no longer about God. The focus is about me. The focus is about me. There's a verse that my wife likes to quote to me, at least throughout the, our years of marriage. She has quoted it to me often. And it's oftentimes when I'm doing the dishes. It's found in the book of Colossians, page 806 in the church Bibles. Colossians chapter 3. This is what she quotes to me. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Naturally, I roll my eyes whenever she says that. And then I question myself. Is she calling me her... My, her is she calling me my master? I'm not quite sure what's going on in that moment. But when I read that verse, here's how I always interpret it. Work for the Lord, not for man, so work hard. Work hard. Do your very best. And that is a part of what the verse is saying. It is saying work hard, do your best. But that's only part of what it's saying. If I'm working for the Lord, not for men, then God's in control. God is in control. He provides the work, and he can take away the work. He controls the environment of the work. He is in control. God is in charge of my work. And if God is in charge of my work, then that means that my work takes on a specific focus. It means that whatever I do is meant to honor him. Not me. Not me. A proper attitude of work, one that does not idolize work, is one that has a focus on glorifying God, not me. When the focus is on glorifying me, it's become an idol. It's become an idol. And so if I'm doing the dishes... I better do those dishes in a way that glorifies God. If I'm preaching a sermon, I better preach a sermon in a way that's glorifying God. If I'm parenting my children, I better parent them in a way that glorifies God. If I'm studying, if I'm studying for school, I better study in a way that glorifies God. If I'm mowing the lawn, mow the lawn in a way that glorifies God. Whatever it is, Work as if working for the Lord, not for men. We are meant to glorify and please God. But that's hard to do sometimes, right? It's, it's not our natural tendency. It's not the first thing we think of all the time, right? I mean, it seems like it would have been easier to do at the beginning, right? We're in paradise. God creates work when everything is good. He creates work in the middle of paradise. It feels like that's when it would be good to do that. It feels like that would be easy to do. Because chaos wasn't present there. Creation was still good, but that's not the world that we live in now. We live in a world of chaos where work is polluted. 
How do we get to the point where we can express all of our work in a way that is focused on glorifying God? The only way we are able to get to that point is because Jesus redeemed our work. Jesus redeems our work. This whole series, we're talking about how God steps into the middle of our chaos to bring about a reset. Jesus steps into the middle of our chaos to bring a reset, to bring an ultimate reset. And what does Jesus do in the midst of that? Jesus brings restoration to the entirety of our lives. Jesus restores our relationships like we talked about last week. Jesus restores every aspect of our life. He restores our relationship between us and God. Jesus also restores our work. He redeems our work. New life is given to us, and that new life is meant to impact the totality of our life, including our work. And one of the most beautiful ways that we see Jesus do this, one of the most beautiful ways that we see Jesus do this is when he gives us a job. Is when he gives us a job. What happens in Genesis chapter 1? God gives us a job. He gives us a vocation. He gives us a mission to live out. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives us a job. He gives us a vocation. He gives us a mission to live out. Matthew chapter 28, page 681 in the church Bibles. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 Jesus is talking and he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is the command in Genesis 1? To go into the world and multiply. What is the command of Matthew chapter 28? To go into the world and multiply. We are called to be stewards of God's creation in Genesis 1 and Matthew 28, we are called to be stewards of Jesus' teaching and his gospel, to impact the world, understanding that we are in a world filled with people whom Jesus so powerfully loves. We are called to go into the world and multiply. The purpose of Genesis 1 was to glorify God and point to him. In Matthew 28, the purpose of our work is to glorify Jesus and point to him. This changes everything when it comes to work. It changes everything. It means that anything I do is an opportunity to impact those around me with the gospel. Anything. What if I'm in high school and I'm studying for a geometry test? Yes, that's an opportunity to impact others with the gospel. Study in a way that draws people to Jesus. What if I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'm taking care of kids? Yeah, absolutely. Parent those kids in a way that points them to Jesus. You have a very, very important job to do. What if I'm a business owner, Carlos? That's all about profit and loss. Well, make those prophets in a way that glorifies God and points people to the gospel. What if I'm a lawyer? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, you have a great opportunity. You have a unique and powerful opportunity in the, in the world of law to impact people in a way that points them to the gospel and glorifies God. 
What if I'm a plumber and most of my job is walking on wearing a suit as I literally walk through waste and all of your waste is literally pouring on me as I walk through the sewer? A good, close, personal friend of mine is named John Stute. If you, some of you are chuckling because you know him. John owns his own plumbing business, and he's a tremendous plumber, but he's also a tremendous guy. He literally does do that. He walks with a suit through sewers, and all of the waste is falling on him and dripping on him. It's disgusting. I struggle to think of many people who live out their lives and live out their work in a way that honors and glorifies God more than I've seen John Stoot. I'm not even counting when he goes to Haiti and he builds solar wells down there and he uses his gift of plumbing to do that. I'm just talking about the everyday life. I remember the first time I met John. The first time I met John was because I had a leak in my home. So he comes as a plumber and he comes to our house and he begins to fix it. Quickly, I realized two things. One, this is totally a dude that I want to be friends with. Not because he's a, pl- I meant because he's a nice guy, not because he's a plumber. It is good to have a plumber friend, but that's not what I mean. But the second thing I realized was, oh, he's counseling me. He's, counsel- he's, he's caring for me. At that point, I was a pastor. That's what I did for a living. I counseled people. I, I talked with people. I care for people. That's my job as a pastor. But that day, the plumber was the pastor. That day, he cared for me in a very powerful way. I can still remember parts of our conversation to this day. I've known him for years. John chooses to live out the mission of Matthew 28 in his work. And also, he's very humble, so he probably, if he's listening to this, he hates this. He's much bigger than me, so I'm going to run away from him. (laughs) Live out. Live out the mission of Matthew 28 in your work. Be a plumbing pastor. Be a lawyer pastor. Be a Wawa Hoagie Fest pastor. Basically, whatever you do, do it for God's kingdom. That means work as if working for the Lord. And if we do all that, can you imagine the impact that we would have on our community around us? If all of us lived out our work lives in a way that points people to Jesus, can you imagine the impact that we would have on the community around us? God created work. And in its original design, work was good. It was a reflection of the image of God. But because of sin and rebellion, we polluted work. And Jesus' life, death, and the resurrection brought redemption to our work. It brought redemption into our lives. It brought redemption into our world. So now, we are to live out our lives with a new work. And our work is to be fruitful and multiply. Our work is to multiply disciples, proclaiming the gospel in everything that we do. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your love and your redeeming work. We thank you for giving us a job to do, giving us a vocation to do, giving us a purpose and a mission. Lord, as we strive to live out the command of Genesis 1, let us live it through the filter of Matthew 28. Doing everything we do in a way that honors you and glorifies you and points you to Jesus. Lord, I ask you to bless the work of everyone in this room. Bless their work. Use their work in a way to impact your kingdom. Use their work in a way to impact our communities around us. Use their work in a way to bring people to you. To bring the gospel to people who desperately need it. Lord, use the work of Calvary Church in a way that brings redemption, in a way that brings healing, in a way that brings the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.